Hi, I'm Jake, your podcast producer here at New Hope, and I'd like to invite you to join us with our new show. It's called What Do I Say? and it's hosted by Pastor Ryan. He seeks to answer just that question. What do I say when I'm dealing with these issues? Whether that's homosexuality, the problem of good and evil, or does God exist? We invite you to listen along to today's episode. It's a good one. I want to welcome you to the podcast show, What Do I Say? My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at New Hope Church, and I'm joined today by another staff pastor, Jake Sanders. I want okay. to thank you for listening. Howdy. Well, the goal of this monthly podcast, to remind us, is to apply the timeless truth of Scripture to the timely topics that we face today. This is really about being equipped as followers of Jesus to be able to respond to the pressing questions of the day. And so our goal for each episode is to take on a topic— something that may be confusing or complex, and to aim to help us to think and respond biblically. As I mentioned before, and I'll mention again, as always, I invite feedback and questions. You can email me at ryan at newhopeadel.org. Well, today we're taking on the question or the topic, what do I say about homosexuality? Now, this is actually part two of a three-part, three-episode uh, podcast special that we're doing. And we know this is an important and timely topic. Uh, today, Christians who who deny the legitimacy of, of a homosexual lifestyle are routinely denounced as homophobic or intolerant or even hateful. Uh, and the result is really tremendous pressure and intimidation that Christians can feel. And of course, we've seen as well Uh, some churches and even denominations that have moved away from the historically accepted biblical position on this topic and embrace and even endorse the homosexual lifestyle. And so it's important as a church that we we take this topic on, that we, we think about it, we wrestle with the scriptures that speak on it, and we form convictions that align with the Bible. Now, I want to say, if you've missed part one of this uh, topic, this episode series, I really highly encourage you to press pause on this one to go back and to listen to part one, and then come back to this episode. Now, I want to do a quick review of episode one, though, uh, just to bring us all up to speed. In the first episode, we talked about how it's important that we build our thinking on a foundational assumption, and it's this, that the Bible has the full authority to frame our thinking on this topic. Of course, this is true for any topic. And so when it comes to homosexuality, the question is not, not, what do I think about it? The question needs to be, what does the Bible say about it? And then I adjust to that. Now, in the first episode, we, or I introduced three theological convictions from the Bible that I'm arguing that we should, we should embrace. In the first episode, we talked about two of those. Today, we'll take on number three. Now, to review the first two, here they are. The first one is that there is a difference between same-sex attraction and homosexual behavior. So the idea here is that attraction may be a temptation, but homosexual behavior is a sin. Now, a lot more was said in the first episode about it, but that's all I'll mention for now. The second conviction is this, that the Bible is clear that all sexual behavior outside of marriage is a sin. So what can happen sometimes is that we as the church can be quick to point out sin of homosexuality, but then we conveniently ignore other types of sexual sin. We should pursue holiness in every area of our lives. This is important for us to consider. 
Well, that brings us now to our third theological uh, conviction to share. And one, as I mentioned in the last episode, may be the most challenging for us to consider. So here it is. Homosexuality is not a barrier to salvation. Hmm. Let that one sink in for a moment, because this has pretty significant ramifications. Let me say it one more time. Yeah, say it one more time. Homosexuality is not a barrier to salvation. That is my view that we, the church, need to really grab a hold of this one tightly and carefully. Because this has a lot of practical ramifications for how we interact with people who are involved in homosexual behavior. Absolutely. I'm excited about this. Let's unpack this for just a moment. See, that this, this conviction, what this means, it, it, it isn't that, that Jesus paid the penalty for all sins on the cross except homosexuality. Of course, he died to pay the, uh, the sin penalty uh, for all people and all sins, regardless of sexual orientation, as well as, and, and let's not miss this, all people are invited into a personal and saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This is, this is grace. And this is, this is significant. Now, there, there are lots of scriptures we can look at. Let me just give you one example of a very, very familiar verse in the Bible. John 3, 16. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world, pause. There are no qualifiers in this verse. There's no footnotes of he loved the world, well, except for this group of people or that group of people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, again, no qualifiers, no footnotes, no exceptions noted, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. See, I I need us to understand that homosexual behavior is not an unpardonable sin. Therefore, homosexuality is not an evangelistic issue. It's a discipleship issue. Now, I actually can see your face, Jake, as you kind of ponder what I'm saying there. So so let's respond to that. What does that mean? What, What does that mean to say that homosexuality is not an evangelistic issue? It's a discipleship issue. Here's what it means. It means a person who identifies as homosexual does not need to fix this part of their life before receiving forgiveness and a second chance relationship with the Lord. Consider Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, homosexual behavior is a discipleship issue because it is an area of sin the Lord will deal with after a person comes to faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. All right. You see why this is so big. Yeah. Very significant to how we think and how we approach relationships with the people in our life who may identify as homosexual. I mean, it's kind of making me think about my own thoughts about who I was before my salvation. And I got saved at the age of 10, but the reality is it took just as much grace to turn that 10-year-old sinner as it does someone deeply entrenched to the homosexual lifestyle. I mean, or any other lifestyle for that matter. It is still requires the death of Jesus Christ to save them. Absolutely. Hmm. And really, I don't think we should be surprised by this as the church. See, this is the same patterns you talked about that all people need to go through. This mm-hmm. this sanctifying process. In other words, just like Jake, you said so well, 
we all come to the cross broken and spiritually dead in our sins. We, we all need the Lord to work in us and to work on us day by day to repair our sin patterns and to help us become more like Jesus. Homosexual behavior is no different. I remember personally from a church that uh, worked at in the past, uh, a lesbian couple that for some reason showed up at our doors and they were wonderful people to, to get to know and to get to know their story and to get to know their, uh, their, their background and, and their jobs and all that kind of thing. They were welcomed. We built friendships with them. Uh, we loved them uh, over the time they were a part of the church. And this is important. We never wavered in our position as a church and our convictions mm-hmm. on that. We, we just, like everybody else in the congregation, did our best to point them to Jesus. And the cool thing about it is after about a year, they came to their own conclusion through their own Holy Spirit convicting in their life about their lifestyle and their choices. And they came and they made the decision of choosing abstinence. Wow. This was God's work in them. And this demonstrates that discipleship process that he takes all of us through, including a person who has this, uh, um, who identifies as homosexual. And I mean, that's a, that's a huge distinction right there is if we demand someone changes before they know Jesus, then we're demanding they clean themselves up before they come to God. Whereas if we treat it like a discipleship issue, then, then it's the Holy Spirit working through the local church, through his word. And that, that has the power to affect real life change. Whereas doing it ourselves doesn't work. It never works. No. No. Well said. Absolutely. Well, it's appropriate now to look at some scriptures. Mm-hmm. What does the Bible say about this topic? Uh, I, I'm not going to go through every verse, but some key verses, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and make a couple observations. Uh, one example, and you can look this up, uh, those who are listening on your own in greater detail, but Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 13, gives us this narrative example, uh, narrative being a story example. This is the story of Lot, who's in Sodom. And the men of Sodom come to Lot and demand that the angels who had appeared as, as men that were with Lot in the home, uh, that, that Lot send them out of the home to the crowd of men so that the men could have sex with these two other guys. Now, verse 7 of this passage, Lot says this. He says, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. So here we have an example of, of a narrative passage of, of, of highlighting that this was a, a sinful act that mm-hmm. this group of men were trying to do. But how about a, more of a command? Well, the Old Testament has those two. Leviticus chapter 18 is a great place to go for that. Verse 22 specifically says, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Now let's jump to the New Testament. The New Testament also speaks to this topic as well. Here are some examples. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we'll begin there. It says, The wrath of God is being uh, revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I'm going to jump to verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Jump to verse 26 and then 27. 
Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women who were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Now, you, you may have noticed where it says more than once, then God gave them over. It almost sounds like God is like sort of cheerleading it or pushing mm-hmm. them into something. And, and what that phrase refers to is that when a person chooses to reject God, he then allows that person to have the perversion they demand. Mm-hmm. And that's what Free that phrase... And, exactly. Yeah. That's what that means. But here we have, again, just in Romans 1, another passage that uh, listeners on your own could, could pour through, uh, speaks to that. I think the use of natural and unnatural desires is a very interesting kind of thing to dive into in that passage. Yes, agreed. How about one more? This verse, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And I picked this one because it highlights the, the point we just made that homosexual behavior is a discipleship issue. Check this out. Paul writes this to the church in, in Corinth. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the key, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. But you were, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Now, this is so key because Paul calls out this whole list of, of sins and says these are, these are the types of behaviors of people who don't know Christ. This is the kind of way they live. And he says, look, and that's what you were. Like, that's what you came out of. Those behaviors and examples listed here is who these people were, but it's not who they are because they have been... Um, cleansed by the blood of Christ, uh, received him as Lord and Savior, and the Spirit of God living in them. It is not who they are anymore. Again, highlighting that discipleship issue, that growth process. Now, maybe you're listening to all this, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, fine, the, the Bible has all these verses, but I'm not really comfortable with those verses. I I, I don't like it. And in fact, I don't like that even that the Bible would say that homosexuality or homosexual behavior is is a sin. I mean, because shouldn't people be able to love who they want to love? Like, I who's mean, it hurting? I mean, as a youth pastor, this is kind of the most common response. Is, I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy? What's wrong with love? Love is love, right? Exactly. Yeah. So here's an interesting question. Why does the Bible say homosexual and homo- homosexual behavior is wrong? Never think about that one. Why does the Bible say that? And actually, let's take a step back from that. Why, why does the Bible say anything is wrong? In other words, what makes something a sin? Okay. Now, this is something the church, we haven't thought much about, or we don't talk about it as much as we should. So let me use the example of lying. Let's just talk about that as an example. The Bible says multiple places that telling a lie is a sin. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. So the question is, why is lying wrong? Well, now, if, if you ask most people, uh, most in, in the church, for example, they would respond and say, well, 
lying is wrong because the Bible says you shouldn't lie. Mm-hmm. And it's true. The Bible does say you shouldn't lie. But why does the Bible say that? Most of the times, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a question I have to answer more and more with kids is, I mean, so there's, you can talk about negative consequences and those things are true. You can talk about it's, yeah, the opposite of truth and truth is good, but it doesn't dive into the heart of the issue. That's good. And consequences can be a slippery slope. There's some problems with that. And if you say, well, because it aligns with truth, well, what makes it true? Yeah. In fact, on that point, interestingly enough, allow me to just dive into philosophy for just a moment. All right. Let's Can talk I about. Stop you if I wanted to. <laughs> Maybe not. Socrates. Socrates, obviously prominent philosopher, thought he dealt the death blow to a theist, to, to people who believed in God on this very topic. He he created this argument that's known today as the urethro dilemma, and here's how the dilemma goes: Is something wrong? Because God declares it to be wrong. Well, so, so let's take lying again. Lying is wrong. Lying is a sin, morally wrong and a sin because God says it's a sin. Well, Socrates said, well, okay, fine. If that's the case, then morality is arbitrary. Because God in his sovereignty could have said the opposite. Or he could have said something entirely different. Therefore, th- th- that's problematic. It's because, again, morality is arbitrary. Or, Socrates pointed out, if if God simply declared, in this case, lying to be morally wrong, because it is morally wrong, apart from God saying that it's morally wrong, well, now God has a problem, because something exists as something apart from his sovereignty. He's no longer in control, because things happen and things are in the world apart from how he thinks and feels about it. Okay. So Socrates there kind of pats himself on the back and says, you theists are stuck. You can't answer this question. Because either way, now we would say for us now later in history, the Christian is stuck when it comes to the commands of the Bible. So is lying wrong, stealing, adultery, go down the list of whatever it is. Secular thinkers today often use this argument or even line of thinking to think they have destroyed Christianity and promoted more of a relativistic thinking about right and wrong. So is there a solution to this? And this is what's so, so important for us as followers of Christ to understand. The answer is yes, and we need to know it. Here it is. All sin is sin, not just because God declares it in the Bible. Please hear this. Something is not wrong because, only because it's in the Bible. That's not sufficient. It's not wrong, excuse me, all sin is sin, not just because God declares it in the Bible, but here it is, because all sin goes against the person, nature, and character of who God is. In other words, he is the plumb line between what is good, what is holy, what is wicked, and what is sin. It's not just because he says it, it's because it goes against and violates him and who he is. He declares something sin because it violates, again, who he is. Therefore, so let's put it into into some examples. Lying is wrong because God is truth. It's who he is. Mm -hmm. It's his his character. It's his nature. You can't separate that from him. Killing is wrong because God is life. Injustice is wrong because God is is just. 
the plumb line for right and wrong, for sin and holiness, is him. And this is so key because he never changes. Mm-hmm. He's not names. shifting with culture and times yeah. and and that's that kind of thing. Character it is of an eternal God. Something that is the most steadfast thing that could ever be is the basis for our morality, not what he feels like that there. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's go back to homosexuality. It isn't that God just arbitrarily says that it's a sin and speaks against it. Homosexuality goes against the person, nature, and character of who God is. It's rooted in something so much deeper. And out of who he is comes his commands for what is good because he loves us. He wants to protect and provide for those he loves. See, homosexuality is wrong because it goes against his created design for people and Mm -hmm. for sex. He created people, for example, male and, and female. Um. This this is, again, so important. And, and let me just say one last thing on this. So many in culture today view matters of right and wrong as matters of taste and not matters of fact. In other words, when it comes to morality, it's all relative. It's based on opinion. It's sort of on, on par with your view about broccoli or football. That's how people view right and wrong. Now, I will add, I will say that if there is no God, then this view, this relativistic view, is actually correct. There, because there is no moral absolutes that exist. Because moral absolutes cannot exist apart from God. In other words, if there is no God, anything goes, including sexual sin in any form. So I would close with this thought. The protest is this. Who are you to say homosexuality <coughs> is wrong? Who are you? And maybe some of you have had a question or, or even an accusation come your way that has that tone. Who are you to say homosexuality is wrong? And the answer is this. I'm nobody. But the lawgiver has a lot to say about it. Mm-hmm. And the lawgiver, the creator of heaven and earth, who, who speaks into his creation what is good and what is unholy, what is sin and what is uh, honoring to him, He has a lot to say about it. This brings us back to our very first point. The question is not, what do I think about homosexuality? The question is, what does Scripture say about it? And what Scripture says is rooted in the person, nature, and character of who God is. This is so important. Well, sadly, we're out of time for today on this episode. Uh, But let me add, we are far from done on this topic. I'm going to invite you back to the next episode, episode three. This is where we're going to highlight what I think most listeners are probably itching to get to. And they're that waiting. is this. They're waiting. How do I respond, interact with the people in my life who would identify as homosexual? Like, give me some practical tools with this. So we're going to talk about how to do that in real everyday life. And then Jake, Pastor Jake, is going to fire five questions at me, questions that have come uh, from listeners. Thank you for for that uh, to this podcast, five questions on this topic. And uh, I'm going to respond to those. And those are also very practical. So thanks for listening. I look forward to the next time of being together as we continue to talk about this important topic. Looking forward to it. Thanks.